everyone. Um, welcome to uh, the Catholic Information Center event with Mario Ensler. My name is Rosemary Eldridge and I'm the Communications Director at the Catholic Information Center. We're so excited to be here with Mario Ensler to discuss his new book about St. John Paul II titled I Served a Saint. Mario is currently a professor at the Catholic University of America and you can learn more about this marvelous man, former banker and Swiss guard by reading the event description below. So let's go ahead and get started. Mario, why don't you take the screen? Tell us, what, tell us about what inspired you to make this book. And I know you have some unique stories about your relationship with St. John Paul II that you'd love to share as well. Well, thank you very much, Rosemary. It's an honor and a pleasure for me to be here tonight. I have to say it's a little awkward because I love to look at people and instead uh, I'm just looking at myself right now. I have a nice tie and uh, wow. I really definitely don't need to go to the hairdresser, <laughs> okay? But uh, yes, I Served a Saint. I Served a Saint is a book that uh, I decided to write in celebration of St. Pope John Paul II's 100th birthday. We happened yesterday. Uh, not many of you are aware of the fact that he was born on May 18, 1920, in a small village in Poland called Wadowice. And uh, his life was early on, was marked by some significant events because he had a sister, Olga, that was born before he was born, but he had died, so he had never met her, okay? And then he had a brother, okay, that uh, passed away, unfortunately, when he was uh, 12 years old. And then his father, passed away also when he was 21. His mother had passed away when he was also, I believe, eight or nine years old. So by the age of 21, Rosemary, he was alone in the world, okay? And uh, his passion was for literature and drama and poetry, and he loved the youth. And then he was ordained priest on November 1st, 1946. But tonight I'm gonna, Hold your hand, if I may say so, to all the people that are listening to us. And I'm going to tell you that his conversation with the Lord got thickened, if I can say so, in 1958, to be precise, when uh, he was going on a field trip, on a canoeing trip, hiking and canoeing trip with some students, uh, with some young adults. He loved young adults. He called them my Hope, okay, and uh, he brought with himself a letter that um, uh, Cardinal Wijinski, the primate of Poland, had given him. He kind of knew the content of that letter, but he didn't want to open it until he had fun with his young adult friends. So on the last day on the Lake Missouri, where they were, before uh, they decided that it was time to leave, he opened that letter and uh, sure, he was being appointed Auxiliary Bishop of Krakow. So imagine his deep sadness on leaving the world of drama and theater and poetry, leaving his interaction with the young and the youth, how devastating that sounded to him. But he decided to follow the Lord. And then again, we fast forward and we arrive in 1978, when again, you know, he went down first for the conclave or Papa Albino Luciani, John Paul I. And then two months later, he went back again. And that month of October of 1978, he came out on the balcony. And uh, there are a lot of um, biographies out there. And the one from my dear friend, George Weigel is one of the best. You can definitely learn some uh, backstage stories of the conclave. One anecdote um, that it's public, you know, it was never confirmed, but any of the cardinals obviously attending the conclave, but uh, uh, credible sources said that at a certain point, you know, they were um, this debating between 
Cardinal Siri and Cardinal Benelli, you know, the two of them were receiving votes, but never the enough numbers to be elected. And so Cardinal Koenig, that was the Cardinal from Vienna, okay, and uh, very powerful, extremely holy man, he went to Cardinal Wyszynski, which was the other Polish cardinal in the conclave, and told Cardinal Wyszynski, what about a Pole? And Cardinal Wyszynski said, no, I am too old. I don't have what it will take. And Cardinal Koenig told him, we are not thinking about you, your eminence. We are thinking about Cardinal Karol Josef Wojtyła. And Cardinal Wyszynski swallowed and then said, but it's too young. Nobody knows him. And Cardinal Koenig said, it's one of the brilliant mind that we have in this time. He's joyful, he's a man of simplicity, he speaks many languages, he knows how to talk to the youngs, he will be great, but we are afraid that he might not say yes. And Cardinal Dichinsky said, I'll convince him. And in the biography, you can see that when Cardinal Wyszynski went into the Apostolic Palace and went to Cardinal Wojtyła and he told him, do you remember Quo Vadis? And when he said that, Cardinal Wojtyła knew immediately because in Quo Vadis there is the famous, I accept, right? And so that's how, uh, you know, he, he came to Rome in a hurry to go back to Krakow because he had a synod going on, okay? And instead he never left and uh, he ran an amazing pontificate for 27 plus years. Now, my beloved friends here at the CIC, I just want you to know first and foremost that being a Pope, okay, is not an average job, <laughs> okay? Technically is not actually even a job because it's a vocation and what I, want to explain is that you don't decide to do it. You know, it's not that you candidate yourself, you put names on, on signs and you put them in people's yards, okay? And uh, no, you are called to do it. And nor, think about it, being a Pope is an easy position because every body in the world watches closely and analyzes every move that a pope does, every word that a pope says. In other words, everybody in the entire world judges the pope based on his or her own agenda and perspective. And so tonight here, I dare to say that standing in the fisherman's shoes, it's all consuming. And my sense, as Rosemary said before, uh, as uh, my sense of having lived in the Vatican and of all the cardinals that I met, is that no one of them actually wants to become a Pope. Nobody buys a one-way ticket to Rome for a conclave. It is certainly much easier to be a cardinal than it is to be a pope. And a friend of mine explained to me that one of the reasons that a pope changes his name when they are assuming their ministry is because their previous life is over. As Jesus told Peter, in John 21st verses 18, and I quote, you will be taken where you do not wish to go, end of the quote. And yes, my experience, the book that I wrote, reinforces that insight. Now, how did I become a Swiss guard? Well, first of all, you have to be Swiss, and there is always, you know, uh, misunderstanding. Switzerland is not Sweden, okay? Make sure the Swedish fish are Swedish candy, not Swiss candies, okay? And uh, 
I was born in Italy because my dad uh, had gone there for work. So my dad was Swiss, my mom Italiana, and I was born and raised in Bergamo, which happened to be the diocese of where John the 23rd also comes from. So imagine my joy on April 27, 2014, when Pope Francis on the same day, he canonized the man that I protected as his bodyguard for three and a half years, St. Pope John Paul II, and the man that I came from his village, St. Pope John the 23rd. And the reason why I became a Swiss guard is because when I finished graduate school as an only child, I was constantly in trouble, you know, and, uh, and my dad, uh, is the one that one day pulled me aside and said that I needed structure in my life. And in order to acquire this structure, I had to join a army. And I'm saying her army because at that time I had dual citizenship, Italian being born in Italy and Swiss from a Swiss father. And when my dad introduced me to, to the two opportunity, then one of the Swiss army sounded better because it was much shorter than the one in Italy. And so I chose the Swiss army. I went into the French speaking part. I was up into the Alps. And while I was there, I was approached by an officer that told me that uh, he had uh, heard that they were looking for men in Rome, in the Vatican. And he had looked at my file and he thought that I would uh, easily qualify to go there. And when he said that, he also said, you know the Swiss guards are, right? You know, they are the bodyguard of the Pope. And I looked at him and I said, well, I know that they are the bodyguard of the Pope, but all I know is that I don't want to be dressed up as a clown. And therefore, no, thank you. I don't really want to become a Swiss guard. Going to Rome, standing still most of the day without being able to talk or interact with anybody. And when I said that, that Lieutenant Colonel barked back at me saying that I had just described just a little bit of the job description of the Swiss Guard, because he said that the moment that you join the Swiss Guards, you acquire a noble title. And that noble title are three Latin words. Because my study, my undergraduate is in classic, when he said um, three Latin words, I said, tell me the words. Defensores Libertatis Ecclesiae, protectors of the church's freedom. So when he said these three words, I thought, wait a second, who's trying to take the church's freedom away? But mainly, why are they trying to take it away? And so I finished my uh, 17 weeks in Switzerland. And when I went back to, uh, to Bergamo and my dad was ready to give me another talk on what uh, uh, I should do to stay out of trouble and which career I should embark, um, uh, I instead blocked him and I said, you know what, dad? I don't need you to tell me anything because I am going to work for the Pope. And my mom that was in the kitchen, she came outside and she said, you are going to work for the Pope? Are you sure? And I said, yes, why? What's wrong with it? And she says, what, what is the name of our current Pope? Well, now you understand, my beloved friends of the CIC, that I arrived at the Vatican basically with a, a largely secular understanding of Catholicism, which was my parents' fate, but not truly my own yet. But guess what? This outsider view was helpful and deceiving at the same time because I was able to meet and to interact with St. Pope John Paul II without any preconceived notion. In other words, his impression on me, Mario Enzler, was not filtered through my perception of his office, but purely based on a human level. So one day I was in the Apostolic Palace 
And uh, I was notified that uh, in the Sala Bologna room on the third floor, there was a meeting going on and the only father was there. And at a certain point, he was going to come out and he had to walk by me to get back into his apartment. And uh, at the end of the meeting, sure enough, there he comes. Is with his secretary, Monsignor Givich, today His Eminence Cardinal Givich. And don't ask me why, but they arrived where I was and they stopped. And rather than doing five more steps entering into their apartment, they stopped right where I was. And another awkward thing, two Polish, they were speaking in Italiano in front of a Swiss, okay? Why they were not speaking in Polish, I don't know, but they were speaking in Italiano. Well, guess what? In front of me, St. Pope John Paul II told Monsignor Cibic that during the night, he had a dream. And during that dream, he was inspired by God to change the way that he led the church. In front of me, I'm right there in my attention and the two of them are talking about this. And he said that he had to start leading the church with suffering, with visible suffering. He said, because the Pope must suffer so that everyone in the world should know that there is a higher gospel, the gospel of suffering with which one must prepare the future. When he said the word future, he paused, he lowered his face, his chin kind of touched his chest. And then he got up and then the two realized, oh, wait, we are not into our apartment. They looked at me. I am, was still there in attention. And then they walked into the apartment. That day when I left my service and I went back to the barracks for food and so on and so far, I started thinking, what did happen? Why is the only father telling me that he has to lead through suffering. Why does the Pope has to suffer? Maybe he was just saying something metaphorically speaking. I don't really understand what this is. Well, maybe one day I'll see it in action, I said to myself. And guess what? Sure enough, a few months later, I was um, in the courtyard of San Damaso, where the Apostolic Palace starts, let's say like that. And the Pope had gone to the Ospedale Gemelli for a, a surgery. He had a benign cancer in his colon and the cancer was removed successfully, was benign. So when he came back from the hospital, it happened because of my service that I was in the courtyard exactly where the car would have stopped Okay, and I would have do my military salute and the only father will have walked next to me up three stairs to go into the elevator to then go into his apartment on the third floor. So when he arrived with the old Mercedes, okay, so the cars arrive, I go up in my attention and uh, the butler and Monsignor Givich, they get out of the car, all right, and they open the door and I see his holiness. He puts one foot, another foot. He pushes himself out of the car and he looked extremely pale, like anybody would after one week in an hospital after surgery, okay? He looked pale. He was for sure weak to a point that when he pulled himself out of the car, he kind of lost balance and in order for him to not fall back into the car, he took a step to the back, you know, to his right, to the back of the car, so that his back leaned against the side of the car, you know, rather than falling back into the car. And when he did that, his left hand went down, and unfortunately, 
the butler, Angelo, closed the door of the car without seeing that the pinky and the fourth finger of the only father left hand were still inside. So when he closed the door of this old heavy Mercedes, okay, the two fingers got closed in. His holiness didn't scream, didn't yell, didn't punch anybody, Angelo or me. He just made a noise so that Angelo realized and reopened the door immediately. His holiness picked up his hands and I saw it bleeding, messed up, fingernail of fourth finger almost out. He showed to me in that moment what it meant about living with suffering because he sucked all of the pain in. He didn't complain, he didn't swear, he didn't say a word. So what he had said, what I had witnessed few months before, he proved it to me. He proved to me that day that suffering is redemptive. Sacrificing is redemptive. In other words, he told me that there is a deeper reward if we suffer or if we make sacrifices for the sake and for the service of others. During his pontificate, my beloved friends, I experience a man of extraordinary capacity, a man of extraordinary human greatness, a man that was gifted with an enormous ability to communicate and with a brilliant intellect. And those of us in service or that worked in the Vatican who had a daily or weekly contact with him, those of us were always struck by the richness of his intuition, by uh, the depth of his spirituality, by the example of his prayerfulness, and by his immense humility, which was rooted in his intimate union with Christ. And yes, it was his humility, his simplicity, which permitted him to continue to guide the church and to give an eloquent message, even when his physical strength or the hand was failing him. Now you start to understand that uh, uh, the reason why I wrote this book, I stained, is because if our youth today doesn't really know St. John Paul II is. And so I didn't write an autobiography or a biography or, 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 no, I wrote a very simple book, 130 pages, with the purpose of describing the man with my eyes. And hopefully through that description, anybody will catch a glimpse of the greatness of this man so that they will be somehow going in pursuit of self-learning. What I mean is they will go and read some of his documents and cyclicals, some of his discourses at the homilies, masses or audiences. They will watch videos of him so that they will pay attention how he moved his hands, how he raised his voice, how he lowered it. He was an amazing oratory, okay? So that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because I want everybody to fall in love as I did. I want everybody to understand that Saint Paul II is a special man 
And because of that, we have to try to emulate him. Now, as I said a few minutes ago, I said that it was, it was his humility and his simplicity that permitted him to continue to guide the church, okay, even when his physical health was failing him. But at the same time, his devotion to Mary is constantly call on Mary, okay, was another uh, inspiration for me. And um, one day I was in, uh, again, into the Apostolic Palace. I was hot, I was tired. And uh, they had called me that the only father was going to walk by where I was, leaving his apartment to go into the Secretary of State. Very unusual. Okay, usually people will go to him. That day, I have no idea why he went to them. Okay. And so I was there when he passed, leaving his apartment to go into the Secretary of State. And then they called me about an hour later, maybe 70 minutes later, that he was going to walk back. And so uh, because I was hot, tired, I went up into my attention and I really, 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 really want him to just stop and say hi to me. Just one word, you know, just acknowledge my existence, make me feel alive. You know, I'm tired, I'm right here. You know, when you are in service and you are in attention, it's not that you can, hey, how are you? You know, you don't do that. There is a protocol, there is an etiquette, okay? And so I am in my attention. I hear him coming. Here he is right in front of me and he goes. He doesn't stop. He doesn't turn absolutely nothing. And so I remained in attention and I closed my eyes maybe for, I don't know, two seconds, two and a half seconds, feeling sorry for myself. And when I reopened my eyes, it was right in front of me. I did not hear him walking back. He certainly didn't jump back, but there he was right in front of me. And he was looking at me with his blue eyes of an intensity of a blue that I still did not identify in any other human person. And St. Pope John Paul II had a very unique style of standing in front of somebody without talking, sometimes even for very long 10 seconds, which will make you feel very uncomfortable. So there I am in my attention and His Holiness is standing in front of me. And all of a sudden I noticed that he put his hand into the pocket of his cassock. And then what he pulled out, he pulled out rosary beads. Not this set, but very similar to this one. And he held these rosary beads in front of me with finger one and two. And he left three, four, and five straight, exactly like this. And he kept it in front of me. And then he looked at me and he said, Mario. The rosary is my favorite prayer. Marvelous in its simplicity and in its profundity. Take my beads. And when he said that, I lower my hand from attention. I came down and he put it into the, in the palm of my hands like I'm doing right now. Take my beads and make them your most powerful weapon. When he said that, I closed my wrist. I looked at him. He turned and did two steps away. He was alone. There was no secretary, nobody else. He stopped. He looked back, looked me again, and I was still there like made out of wax, under shocked. And he looked at me and said, welcome to adulthood. And he walked away. You know, my beloved friends of CIC, 
we all have to call on Mary. Every single person that is watching this event tonight, make sure that you call on Mary on a daily basis. Make sure that you tell your friends to call on Mary on a daily basis, because if you will be there in your prayers, okay, the Lord will turn you from a pessimist into an optimist. The Lord will turn you from being timid to being daring. The Lord will turn you from being feeble-spirited to being a man and a woman of faith. Call on Mary. Ask her to intercede for you and ask her to constantly remind you to look for the grace to be courageous. The longer His Holiness prayed, the more absorbed in prayer he became, until sometime he seemed completely taken up in it, as if nothing or no one in the room or around him could pull him back from the place that he had gone. And I remember clearly still today looking at pictures or just uh, uh, rethinking and reliving those days. I still remember the intensity with which he celebrated the Eucharist. How he remained deeply recollected in prayer at the conclusion of Mass. And the devotion with which he spoke spontaneously of Jesus and Mary. He had an uncommonly to speak to people, both uh, privately and or to a crowd. And as I said before, with a particular magnetism toward young people, many of you declare themselves far from the church. Now you understand why I wrote this book. I wrote this book because, yes, an essential criteria for canonization, okay, is the assurance that the candidate led a life of heroic virtue. And so that's what I intended. I want people to understand St. Pope John Paul II, to discover or rediscover, okay, his greatness so that they can aspire to become like him. I witness in several occasions the concrete fact that true joy is not a mere passing emotion, but true joy comes from having met Jesus, who is true joy and true love. And it was St. Pope John Paul witness that I was continually exhorted to try and serve others as Christ did. Because he who himself came not to serve, but to be served. And in the book, I also talk about another saint that I have the privilege of having met in more occasion. And uh, I have also the privilege that she knew my name as well, Mother Teresa. And uh, Mother Teresa, strong woman, powerful, courageous, never stopped, constantly asked the Lord to be courageous. The expression that Mother 
and his holiness said in different times, but that they were commons, that expression was to remember that we have to be more, not we just have to do more, but we have to be more. And what I mean with that, dear my friends here at the CIC, at the Catholic Information Center, is that I'm challenging you tonight to ponder about these two words as I've been doing for many, many years. Does that mean be more? Well, for me, Mario Ensler, a simple guy that used to be raggedy handsome with long hair like Marie has that I will wear in a ponytail and right now ugly handsome and I have no more hairs, okay? What I took from these two words was and still is rediscover beauty and the power of my own career. Remembering that no gift given is meant for oneself, but it is given for the good of the church and her mission. And that, that gift can be financial strength intellectual strength, physical strength, it doesn't matter. But we have to take up the call to a new evangelization, which was a call near and dear to St. Pope John Paul II, because we tonight we must receive this condition of self-giving as absolutely essential so that we don't fall into the error of using the truth with which the only spirit enlivens the church. You know how many times, come only spirit, leave me alone, don't touch me, I'm fine like I am, but still come only spirit. No, doesn't work like that, okay? So in conclusion of this, uh, uh, you know, of, and, and justification, if I may say so, of, of I decided to get this, this simple book. I just want you to know that, yes, St. Pope John Paul II impacted my life tremendously in, in, in many profound ways, uh, laying the, the groundwork for me for becoming a better father, a better husband, a better businessman, but mostly important a practicing Catholic. And I have to say that, and you will read it in the book, that it was his example that inspired me. It was his words that gave me hope, and it was his ideas that provided direction to my life. And, you know, while I was in the Vatican, I had the privilege to meet many, many people, one of whom was Alvaro del Portillo, Don Alvaro, we will call him today, blessed Alvaro del Portillo. And I engaged in a, in a relationship with him. He's the one that introduced me to Cuban cigar and single malt scotch. I will always be grateful for that. And uh, I one day was um, uh, sharing with him in a conversation uh, about some frustration that I had experienced, okay? And uh, I was trying to summarize few uh, learning that I thought uh, uh, I had uh, received, the, you know, from the month before and so on and so far. And so he said, let's go on a walk. And we went on a walk in Piazza Farnese, okay? Between Piazza Farnese and Piazza Campo dei Fiori. And while we were, we were walking, Blessed Alvaro said, you know, Jose Maria has a word for everything. And I said, oh, really? What do you mean? And he said, well, you know, I want to tell you, Mario, Blessed Alvaro said that what you are describing to me tonight, those guiding principles that you are detecting in St. Pope John Paul II at that time, His Holiness. Well, Jose Maria also identified them as basic for authentic leadership. 
And so let me share with you tonight, my dear new friends, just a couple of them, because guess what? We can all be authentic leaders. Well, the first one is pay attention to the little things. Yes. How many times we have to walk and look just at the big picture, but we do not pay attention to the little things. Saint Pope John Paul II was focused almost maniacally, 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 I don't even know how to say the word, on little things. Because the moment that you are focusing on the little things, when you become a master of the little things, okay, you become a master of yourself, and then you become a guide and a leader for others. Jose Maria he had indicated that as a principle for authentic leadership. And without me even knowing, St. Pope John Paul II almost on a daily basis showed that to me. We have to pay attention to the little things. The second is embrace sacrifice, as I described before. Let's not be afraid to suffer. Let's not be afraid to sacrifice. Come on, guys. How much are we giving for granted today? I dare all of you tonight, if you didn't say your rosary, maybe instead of saying 50 El Marys, why don't you try to say 50 things that you are grateful for? I can bet money that after you arrive to 23 or 24, you'll run out of things. Why? Because we live in a society where we leave everything for granted. We never are grateful that if we turn on the water on our kitchen faucet, we have running water. You see the point, right? We need to embrace sacrifice as a vocation, the manial, but how pleasant that sacrifice, as I said before, turns out to be if that self-giving is complete. So pay attention to the little things and number two, embrace sacrifice. And last but not least, the third one that I want to give you tonight, and you find all of this on the book as well, is always stay humble. Because it doesn't matter if you are the president of a university, if you are a CEO of a company, if you are not humble, you are worth nothing. You have to ask the Lord for the grace to be courageous. God will help you. And then you will be able to begin working for Christ in the lowest place in his army of apostles. And let me conclude my monologue before hopefully some of you have few questions that I will be more than happy to answer. I want to close with you inviting all of you to become spiritual Swiss guards. I want all of you tonight to become like this simple dude next to the man in white, <laughs> okay? I want you to become spiritual Swiss guard. And because of that, I'm going to leave you with the first book of Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And that's the David's charge to Solomon before he died. And I quote, I am going the way of all flesh. Take courage and be a man. Keep the mandate of the Lord your God, following his ways and observing his statutes, his commands, his ordinance, and his decrees, end of quote. So please be more. After you watch Netflix tonight, before you kiss your husband or wife or children, or you just say goodnight to yourself if you live alone, ask yourself, how can I be more? Thank you very much, Rosemary. I hope that uh, people enjoyed my uh, 45 minutes uh, monologue on trying to explain the greatness of, of a man that obviously I was aware within the first two or three days that he had something special and whatever that he had, I wanted it, 
but I didn't know what it was. And so that was enough for me to pay attention to what he was saying, pay attention to uh, who he was looking at. And I really, really fell madly in love with the man. And still today, any chance I have when I'm discouraged, when I feel lost, I always ask him for help and for directions. Mario, thank you so much. I have no doubt that our audience watching right now has been inspired and um, related to the stories that you told. Um, it's really interesting to hear your unique perspective on, um, on St. John Paul II based off your experience as a Swiss guard. And I really loved your ending comments on um, calling everyone to you know, be a spiritual Swiss guard. Um, I really loved that. Um, we have a lot of questions for you, um, but before we go into those, I want to go ahead and announce the winner of our St. John Paul II book giveaway, which includes um, your book, I Served a Saint. Um, our winner is Beatrice Chappell. Um, so thank you all for enter entering into this giveaway. We'll be sure to um, reach out to you, Beatrice, and get your address and make sure you get your uh, book bundle on St. John Paul II. Okay, so let's dive into these questions. Um, this is one we just got. It's a pretty lighthearted question. Um, so what was St. John Paul uh, the, the II's daily routine like? Did you ever get the chance to see him go skiing or do anything fun like that? Well, his daily routine, he was a man of prayer. So wake up very early, lots of time in the chapel. And then from the chapel, he always had mess with small groups, from there, he took somebody uh, to breakfast so that he could interact and find out more, sometime a bishop, sometime uh, an, an, an academics or whatever. From there, then meetings within the curia, and then all the meetings of protocols with ambassadors, presidents, and then audiences all the way until one o'clock, 1.15. And then he will go back into his uh, second floor, a third floor apartment, have lunch, a little rest and then he will go on top of the uh, building which there is a garden there you know you can see it if you are on top of the cupola and you look down okay there was a little garden on top and so he will go up there in the afternoon and uh, he will walk and pray the rosary or pray the divine mercy chapel or simply just walk and i imagine listening to what god had to tell him and then from there, he will go back into the Apostolic Palace and again have meeting, okay, most of the time meeting in the afternoon where with uh, uh, Vatican uh, cardinals, you know, more of his staff people, and then dinner, and then work in his studies, writing, and the light would go off usually around 10.30, quarter to 11. So extremely full schedule. If you think how many trips he did all over the world, 140, okay, 147. So basically, he did not have a lot of time for fun, but he did have time to sneak away a few times to go skiing. It's very famous, the story of when he went in incognito that he didn't tell Swiss guard or anybody. He went with two other Polish priests, and then there was a kid that recognized him on the ski lift, okay? And so that's when everybody realized, okay, this is not safe. And so then he was kind of asked and encouraged, okay, you wanna go ski, that's fine, but let's just prepare the trip and let's make sure that nothing is gonna happen while you are skiing, okay? And uh, he accepted that. He would go, as I said, a few times uh, um, uh, to Castel Gandolfo, which was the summer residence. And he will go also a few times during the year after Easter and after Christmas. And when he was there, he will try not to have any public audiences or meetings. He will just be by himself, six or seven guards, one of our nuns cooking meals for him. We will go to mass with him. Sometime he will eat dinner with us. I was blessed that that happened to me three times to have dinner with him. And he was a simple man. As I dedicated into a book, one chapter, he was a man of simplicity because, you know, despite if he was meeting the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa, uh, Ronald Reagan or a, a, a school kindergarten teacher, 
in you how to relate to that person in that moment. So a very humble man, a man of simplicity that uh, if a day, instead of having 24 hours, if a day will have had 28 hours, he will have used all 28 of those hours. Uh, wow, that perfectly transitions into one of our next questions. Um, you said that St. John Paul II was humble and a simple man. Um, this next question coming from one of our viewers is, if you could describe St. John Paul II in three words that most accurately capture the essence of who he is, what would those words be? So outside of being a humble man and a man of simplicity, what are, some, what are three words that you would use to describe him? I would say human, persistent, and creative. Human because he had a deep respect for the dignity of the human person. Persistent because he never held back, never. They attacked him, he was sick, they shot the guy, okay? He never held back. And creative because he tried new things all the time. He did not dare to shut down and, you know, I put this in a book. There was an interaction once that I had with him. And uh, he told me, there were actually two of us. He told me and my colleague, Beat, that the reason why we cannot be afraid, Rosemary, is because God is one day ahead of us. That's why, hey, yes, we are through a time of hysteria right now, right? We are all angry, we are all frustrated, but we cannot be afraid. Why? Because God is one day ahead of us. Wow, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, so you just touched a little bit on his persistence and how that shone through when he, with the assassination attempt. And you talked a little bit about the aftermath of that and seeing him come you know, back to the residence after being in the hospital. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what it was like being a Swiss guard during that period? Like, right, like, how did you feel right after you heard about the assassination attempt? Were you there? Um, do you just have- I, was, I was not there, do you, uh, I, I, I went after that, but I was there, for instance, when uh, Gorbachev visited, I was there when General Schwarzkopf attacked Desert Storm. If you, you were probably not even born yet, Rosemary, but, uh, you know, desert, desert storm in Kuwait. And believe it or not, how was it? Hey, here it is. So we knew that there was, you know, um, uh, Saddam Hussein, you know, there was a lot of going on and we were in alert, you know, for as much as we can be, okay? And uh, we were doing extra services because the colonel wanted maybe more guards in normal places just to be ready for whatever, okay? And uh, there was an audience, and at the end of that audience, His Holiness ended up coming where I was, and when him and, Car and, and Jivic arrived, I had just heard that General Schwarzkopf had just attacked, you know, so Desenstern had started, they had bombarded, okay? And so when they arrived, Monsignor Stanislav looked at me and said, any news? And I said, yes, I just heard they attacked. And when I said that, His Holiness that was standing next to him, okay, he put his head down, his chin all the way down again. And that was not the first time for me that I saw it touching his chest. So a man of simplicity, but at the same time, he was alerted, he was focused on what was going on. And I gave him the news of the attack of Schwarzkopf and I saw it and I experienced in front of me his sadness, his pain, because the respect for the human dignity was so big that for him, harming other people was incomprehensible. Wow, the love that you have for him, you're so, you do such a great job at expressing that um, to the audience here. Like, I'm like getting emotional just hearing you talk about his reaction to hearing that news. Um, you talked a little bit about 
your the moment in which St. John Paul II gave you his rosary and how you were just kind of like stuck and like in shock. Um, so kind of like a starstruck moment. Um, so one of our questions is, you know, did you get starstruck serving the Pope? Um, and could you clearly see that he was a saint? So was there another moment um, in your experience working with him that really stuck with you and, and you got that starstruck moment? Well, I can, so after I finish being a Swiss guard, I enter into the financial industry, okay, into the banking industry. And believe it or not, I was appointed by the huge Swiss bank that I was working for as financial advisor to the Vatican. And so I ended up spending eight years as a financial advisor under St. Pope John Paul II papacy. And that meant that in more than one occasion, I had meetings even one-on-one -on -one with him, but rather than being dressed as a Swiss guard with a uniform, I was wearing a suit, an Armani suit with a <laughs> Valentino tie and my Patek Philippe, okay? Just to show off a little, all right? And yes, this is the answer. Doesn't matter if I was wearing a suit or if I was wearing a uniform, doesn't matter if I was a soldier or if I was a banker, every time that I was in his present, I knew that it was different. It was like a glow, Rosemary, okay, that the closest you will get to him, you will feel like pressure on your chest. Like if there was, you know, like if you're going in a merry-go-around so fast that all of a sudden your bones here, they hurt, okay? And I felt that uniqueness only when I was near him. And a little bit when I was near Mother Teresa. So the answer is yes, I knew that he was special. I have many stories where I froze, but I have many stories where I also really laugh with him and he almost teased me. And I'm gonna tell you one really, really shortly. Um, his butler had Angelo, had two daughters. Uh, Flaviana and Gabriella, and he wanted Mario to take one of his two daughters out for a pizza, okay? But I didn't want to go out with the boss's butler's daughter. Not smart, <laughs> okay? Not smart, all right? So there was always this little teasing between Angelo and me. And one day, at the end of an audience in the Aula Paolo Sesto, the Pope the Sixth hallway, if you look at San Peter is on the left side, indoors for audiences on Wednesday. At the end, you know, the Pope had to arrive where I was, it was where the car was. And so I went up into the attention and right before, like, I don't know, two seconds before the Pope arrived, all of a sudden somebody elbowed me, Rosemary, right below my sternum that caused me to go all the way forward. I had my helmet on, you know, with the black point and the red feather. So when I went down, the only father was right there and he had to take it, you know, two steps away so that I didn't basically cut him with my helmet, okay? So when I came back up and I fixed my helmet and I saw Angelo with the, in the corner of my eyes laughing and I knew that he was guilty of elbowing me, I then look, I went back in attention, I look at his holiness and his holiness looked at me and said, Mario. There is no need to bow for me. So you understand he was a funny guy. And if he had a chance to show his gratitude for our Petrine service, he always took it. And this is an example. That, that's really funny. Um, okay, so we have several more great questions, but unfortunately uh, we don't have time for all of them. Out of time. Um, so we're gonna take one more question. Um, and I'm going to go with this question here because I think it'd be a great one to end off the conversation with. And uh, I think it's a great way for you to kind of sum up um, this whole lecture. Um, so what is the most important lesson that you learned from St. John Paul II? <laughs> I think my most important lessons is that we always have to be for the truth, even when it hurts. And in order to do that, we have to have a renewed faith in human capacity and we have to keep hope alive by demonstrating 
our courage. So be in pursuit of the truth even when it hurts. Have a renewed faith in human capacity. And in order to do both of those things, we have to keep hope alive because St. Pope John Paul II, he was a man of hope. Wow, thank you so much, Mario. I just wanna take a quick second um, and encourage everyone to purchase your book. Um, you can do this through our CIC website. Um, if you go to the event page, um, there'll be a link directly there. Um, there's also gonna be a link in the event description in the event description below. Um, the Vatican Secretary of State, you know, I wanna read, read his review of your book real quick. Mario Insler has written a book about faith and virtue that leads us to the lives of saints and friends and indeed the life of the author who gave himself to to the church by serving St. John Paul II, servant of the servants of God. The, the men and women he encountered over the years led this young man to a life of service as a means of growing in virtue. May readers be inspired to find fulfillment and happiness in serving others through the examples presented in Mario's book. Um, and for those, um, you know, everyone who's been watching this event, I mean, I'm sure you can relate to that review. Um, the stories you shared, Mario, were just remarkable. Um, and thank you for giving us this, you know, glimpse um, into St. John Paul II's life through the lens um, that you provide. And thank you again for being with us. Um, for everyone watching, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media so you can stay up to date on all of our upcoming events, book giveaways, um, and be able to watch videos like this with inspiring authors. Thank you again, Mario, and I hope you have a Thank you very much, Rosemary. Thank you. Thank you very much, and God bless you all. Good night. Thank you.